Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Boston and Israel 360 podcast. I'm your co-host, Miriam Anzavin, and I'm here with Dan Seligson. Hi there. Hi, Dan. Today, we're going to talk about a situation that's unfolding right now in Israel. There are approximately 40,000 asylum seekers from places like Eritrea and Sudan in Israel, many of whom are fleeing persecution and life-endangering situations in their home countries. The state of Israel is now set to embark on a policy in which the asylum seekers are offered a financial incentive to move to a third country in Africa. If they do not move, they will face jail time. Our guest today is Rabbi Susan Silverman, a writer and an activist. She is the author of Casting Lots, Creating a Family in a Beautiful Broken World, and the director of Second Nurture, an organization that encourages adoption. She's the founder of the uh, movement that we're going to be talking about today, Miklat Israel, which is fighting the deportation of asylum seekers in Israel. She and her spouse have five children, and they live in Israel. Rabbi Silverman, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Dan and Miriam, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. Um, the aim is to respond to the crisis that we find ourselves in uh, because our government has decided to deport thousands of African asylum seekers. And we know that when they are deported, they are not able to stay in the countries that they are deported to and that they find themselves back on the refugee trail. So it's not that they're depart deported to places that are necessarily bad places or dangerous places in and of themselves, but they're not landing somewhere where they can stay. And I wanted to say, refer to something you mentioned, which was that this seemed to come out of nowhere. And I have to say, like, that's on me and on so many of my fellow Israelis that this came out of nowhere for people outside of Israel, because we really should have been much more on this earlier before it became a crisis. And I really take responsibility for that. And I'm really sorry about that. But we're in this situation now where everyday Israelis have to rise up and tell the government that this is not who we want to be as a country, that we deport people to trafficking and to death. That is going to be part of our history forever. So our goal is to, is to help the government change course from deporting human beings to, to processing people and most likely finding them to be true refugees. Nearly 100% of Eritreans in other countries who have been processed have been found to be true refugees, not economic refugees, but actual refugees who are seeking haven from a, from a terrible regime. And to process those people and to, and to provide them with the visas that they need to live a dignified life. You've spoken about uh, recently um, the reasons you initially chose to use Anne Frank as a symbol of this initiative, of this movement. Um, in particular, there was a very moving story about an Eritrean uh, refugee, I believe, who had read the diary of Anne Frank before he actually made his way to Israel. Um, but on the flip side, uh, do you have concerns that using uh, this imagery or evoking this analogy is feeding into the perception that some people really have that Israel is somehow a new Nazi state. Absolutely. That concerns me. And, um, and you know, the truth is that there is so much, you know, the anti-Israel sentiment, I personally believe very much is anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. 
you know, not anything, any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic, certainly not. But I think a lot of the energy out there that's so anti-Israel is really kind of this glee around hating Israel. And I certainly do not want to feed that as, as an Israeli, as someone who's raised her children in Israel, as someone whose son is standing on the Gaza border in uniform as we speak, I certainly do not want to feed into that. On the other hand, there was an analogy that got a message across very powerfully. And that message was that Israel itself is the haven, is the sanctuary for these people. And outside of Israel are such extreme dangers that we have an obligation to provide haven to people in Israel where they can be safe and have productive and dignified lives. I know you touched upon this a little bit earlier. You just spoke about how they are actual refugees, not you know migrant workers or or other things that have been suggested. Um, the chief rabbi of Israel said recently that helping those who are already citizens of Israel, like Holocaust survivors or people with disabilities who are living in poverty, uh, needs to take precedence over anyone else we help, essentially, was his message. Um, but the most frequent commandment in the Torah, upwards of 30 times, I believe, is to welcome the stranger in our midst. Um, do you believe that Israel can strike a balance between being a small country with limited space and resources, but still remain true um, and open to refugees and asylum seekers in the spirit of that commandment? Listen, I am certainly no economist, but this is something I understand quite clearly from people who are economists, which is that economies are not like a like an actual pie where you're dividing things up tinier and tinier, right? Economies are things that grow and expand with the people in them. Otherwise, how would the U.S. move from its 13 colonies to 50 states and population growth? It wasn't like we still have the same, you know, amount of like currency and that's all we've got. Things expand. In Israel, the startup nation, we know that better than anybody. We've expanded like crazy. We have room for everybody and pitting poor Israelis against refugees. I really find that to be very narrow and also quite perhaps deliberate. Why would we pit you know, poor Israelis against refugees? Why are we not thinking broadly about a society in which everybody can be lifted, you know, and to create that kind of dichotomy, which is a made up dichotomy, is to say, I want an excuse to kick out these Africans. And here I can couch it in the language of compassion, when in truth, it's from a place, I believe, of fear and of xenophobia. So uh, speaking of that theme of pitting people against other people, fear and xenophobia, (laughs) uh, do you see any correlation um, between what's happening now in Israel related to asylum seekers and immigration and what's happening in other parts of the world, including the part of the world that I'm currently in? Right. Absolutely. Look at, we have this, there's this wave of, of nationalistic fascism almost like there's this wave of narrow-mindedness of hate of pitting people against each other and you know as someone who is both american and israeli i care deeply about what's happening in in both places and i have to say as a jewish state of all things it is it is really our obligation to say regardless of that kind of energy that is spinning around the world we need to rise up and hold fast to our values i mean 
What's the very first of the Ten Commandments that God reminds us that we were taken out of Egypt? Like there's nothing more important than human redemption. And if we forget that because we're caught up in this wave, then it's really, you know, then who are we? What's our purpose? You know, there's this uh, beautiful midrash where the rabbis say, God rules over humanity, but who rules over God? And their answer is the righteous. And I understand that to mean that regardless of any kind of cosmic waves that are capturing the world, as righteous people need to rise up and remind God and be God's partner in fighting that the negative energy, the bad energy. So there are in the world, I just, uh, I just looked on Google, uh, <laughs> around 65 million refugees globally. And some of these refugees are, are obviously in urgent need. Um, the ones from Syria, the ones from parts of Africa. Um, how much can, can Israel realistically help being a small country with, with limited resources? So that is a debate that can be had. The reality right now is that we've, we've built a wall. We have who we have. Nobody else is coming in. So we can have that discussion. And from my point of view, I want our question to be, what more can I do? Not how little can I get away with? And the question that the Israeli government has been asking so far is how little can we get away with? When the question as Jews needs to be, what more can I do? You know, we're not, it's not on us to heal everything, to fix everything, but we need to do our part. And that's all we're demanding is that Israel does our part according to international law, international law, by the way, that we helped write mm -hmm. after the Holocaust, right? The, in, on, on refugees and to do our part internationally, to do our part as Jews, we don't have to do it all, but we need to ask, what more can I do? And to that, and, and to that I have to say, we could actually leverage the, the asylum seekers who are among us, who are truly refugees, instead of fighting over whether we can keep them or not keep them and, and talking like every single other country in the world speaks about refugees, we could say, ah, we are the Jewish state. We are God's partners. We are the startup nation. Let's create Startup Nation University for Refugees, where we train people all around the state of Israel. We train African asylum seekers in water, in agriculture, in energy, in medicine, in all our high-tech advances. And then those people, for those people, African countries will roll out the red carpet for them to come. They can go home when it's safe to Eritrea or to Darfur and help build startup nations, democracies in those places with Israeli technology under their belts. And in that way, we can actually be a true Orlegoyim. Mm -hmm. We can truly be a light. We can truly bring light to new places through these people. If we just thought creatively, instead of thinking like every other country. So in, in this country, the issue of refugees and DACA and anything related to immigration seems to break along very clear party lines. And unlike Israel, we only have two parties. Uh, how does this issue seem to break across party lines in Israel? And are the, is it sort of the expected ways or are there some ways in which, you know, that, that might surprise people from this country who follow Israel? So, well, first of all, on sort of a positive note, you know, we've gotten 
we have thousands of people, including including kibbutz communities like across the nation who have said, count me in. I want to hide refugees if God forbid it comes to the point, which is we're on a countdown now. We've got less than two weeks. Um, if government comes to the point where people need to choose between prison and, and deportation. Um, but that has crossed political lines. So we also have, there are people from the territories, tons of people who are volunteering to do this, right? So people who never agree on anything politically are all together on this, which has been really interesting. In terms of party lines, you know, it's so complex in Israel because there are like, there's left, right, but there's also religious secular. And it's so interesting because I hear all these secular people, you know, and I'm not a secular person. I am a, I'm a rabbi. I'm a religious person. I'm a progressive liberal religious person. Uh, but we see like the secular and the progressive Jews quoting, you know, quoting that we need to take care of the stranger, treat the stranger as a citizen among us. Remember that we were strangers in a strange land. All of that is who we are quoting. Who has Bibi Netanyahu and Eli Yishai and Mary Regev quoted? They have quoted Pharaoh. What did Pharaoh say? Pharaoh said about the, the Hebrew slaves, they are growing in number and they will join our enemies. That's exactly what these politicians and religious leaders like Yushai have said that there's this people among us who are going to grow in number and that growth is a threat to us. Who else have they quoted? They've quoted Haman. What did Haman say about the Jews? There's a people among us, he says to Achashverosh, O king, there's a people among us who does not follow your laws. What did Eli Yishai say? That, that the asylum seekers are criminals, that they do not follow our laws, which is an outright lie. In fact, in fact, if you look at the statistics, the crime among these desperate people, right, is half the national rate of Israeli citizens. Mm. It's tiny. So we find that the secular and, and, and also the progressive Jews are quoting God's commandments and are ultra-religious and right-wing are quoting Pharaoh and Haman. So I have read um, about activists making personal attacks against you um, for this initiative that you're doing. Um, how do you balance the mission with the uglier parts of this work that do include personal attacks on you and your family? You know, it, it was it was really disheartening. Uh, <laughs> I have a very dear friend who's Haredi and very right wing, and I sent her the link right. of these Kahana guys, and she goes, "Oh, honey, look at the bright side. They think your house is kosher enough." <laughs> wow, silver lining. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, listen, like <laughs> it's disheartening. But I just, I don't focus on it. What, what am I going to do? I can't focus on it. Like, you know, we've alerted the police. They're going to bring them in and talk to them. And the police will do their jobs. We've warned our children, you know, to please, like, be extra alert and pay attention. But I I can't, I can't you know, maybe they want to distract our efforts. But we're not going to get distracted. We're, we're keeping our eye on the prize. We know what our Jewish obligation is. We know what our, what our, um, our, the state of Israel's obligation is we know what the international obligations are and we are in line with that and we're just going to keep moving forward. There are, uh, to my knowledge, other migrant populations in Israel or refugee populations who are not 
facing quite the same deadlines and prison or deportation choice um, that the African asylum seekers are currently facing. Um, Can you speak a little bit about how that plays into what you were doing at all or how that's informed your work in any way? Right. And even though they're a much greater number, we haven't built a detention center for these people who are from, you know, Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. I don't know. You can use your imagination what yes, the difference is between these people. I can, sadly. So what what's the deadline? You mentioned the deadline, the two-week deadline, and I think we'll be posting this one. It's probably about a week before the deadline. But um, what exactly happens in, in two weeks? Is that the point at which the government decides we're going to jail people or you know, give them the payout and send them off on a plane? Right. So they can choose either, quote, voluntarily leave with this payout, which, by the way, the money, you know, you can, there are uh, lots of articles online. It's easy to find articles of what happens to people that they don't have that money very long once they land and they're back on the refugee trail. They're back to desperation. It's not like they can, oh, start a new life in a new country. They're back on the refugee trail with this money, paying off people who we don't want to enrich, right. by the way, uh, for their own safety. And um, it's either that or go to prison indefinitely. Our sense now, I don't know, our sense is uh, that people are going to choose prison because they see that we're not stopping and we're going to fight this to the end and we're not going to let them stay in jail. And we have a lot of support worldwide from and, and from organizations that I can't name, but that you would be surprised that they're getting involved because you think of them as not progressive, except that they are now and people are very angry from all all kinds of uh, Jewish uh, and Zionist organizations around the world. So I think fewer people will take that, um, quote, offer to, to leave the country because they know what awaits them. You know, I'm imagining their moms in Eritrea, in Darfur, you know, hearing the news, watching, finding out whatever they can, just terrified for their child. I can't even imagine my child being far away and at risk and having the one country that's kept them safe talk about deporting them. As a mom, I, it's it's unbearable to me to try to think what these women are going through from far away. You know, it was it was really moving to read the articles about um, a couple of L L pilots who said that they're going to refuse to fly asylum seekers back to Africa. And we've heard that also psychologists and educators and rabbis who have offered their help as well. It seems like the movement that you talked about is growing. Is it is it growing across all sectors and professions that you've from what it's, you've seen? It seems to be, and we have people from the high tech sector now reaching out to us. Uh, you know, we're, you know, Netanyahu is so proud of our of our high tech, and the high tech people are are getting themselves together to to oppose Netanyahu to say, don't use you know, don't use us to cover up your evil. So it's it's really it's very powerful. The 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 sectors, the people from all over who have come out. A woman from South Tel Aviv who said, I live in a two room apartment with my kids. I'll be damned if I'm going to let this happen. I can take 10 people. A really remarkable rising up to the occasion. And of course, we've had detractors as well. And some people, you can sort of feel like it's justified. Some people, you feel like it's because their worldview is um, how they have been impacted. 
personally. Um, and at the beginning, I started saying like I was ashamed that that it's taken me this long to be really, really, really active in this because long ago we really should have found a way to help people live in different parts of the country and find work and perhaps go to school and start, you know, have Startup Nation University and really bring people to different places so everyone is not. Uh, congregated in a few places, including South Tel Aviv, that is very poor. So, you know, South Tel Aviv shouldn't take the brunt of more people who are really struggling coming in and the rest of the country really has to rise to the occasion and has been rising to the occasion. So just as we have people who are signing up to take people um, into their homes to protect them from the authorities, if, if, if it comes to that, we have these same people and the same kibbutzim have said, we can take people to come and live here. We can we can help to settle them in our you know a group of Eritreans in our neighborhood in our kibbutz, you know, uh, in our area up north and down south. Like there's been so many offers that we're really starting to figure out. Once God willing, the Netanyahu government says, okay, our people have risen up, our people have spoken. We're going to work with them to make this work. Um, we've started to establish a. A blueprint for how that can happen in a way that is it is most efficient and most fair. You know, the great irony is you have politicians and religious leaders saying we just simply don't have the room or the resources, and then you have people who have nothing saying we're happy to take them. That's right, and not only that, but you know, the hotel industry does not want people to leave. It's not like, oh, we have like 10 Israelis and three asylum seekers applying for the same job. That's not the case. Asylum seekers are doing work in hotels that there are not any other applicants for. Right? So it's and it's an absurd, it's an absurd situation. And it's and it's a false dichotomy that is from a place of of hate. It's not who I want us to be. I want us to trust in God and and in the Torah and in our ability to do what the Torah tells us to do in that way. So, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, awareness about this issue has been growing in this country. And I think a lot of people are, are very concerned and want to know what they can do to help, even if they're not in Israel. What would you suggest for people who want to help the movement or in some way um, offer their assistance to these asylum seekers who are facing imminent deportation? So, well, of course, money, you know, uh, Miklat Israel, we are a movement and we are currently not affiliated with any organization because we are not agreeing to stay necessarily within the law. I mean, we're absolutely staying nonviolent, of course, but we don't know what the law is, is on this. We're trying to figure it all out, but we can't bring in an established Amuta, uh, NGO, you know, if if we are going to be hiding people and if there are legal ramifications. So we are just our own movement and we need money because we, we have a few people doing more work than a few people can manage and we need to continue to hire outward. And that's really, really important. The next thing is that wherever your listeners live, call your local Israeli embassy, your local Israeli consulate, whatever is nearest to you, and tell them that this is not the Israel that you love. This is not the Israel that you have supported all these years, that this is not your vision for the Jewish state, and that you adamantly, adamantly want the government to change course on this. Please call them. They will hear you. Tell, you know, talk to your local federations and say, 
Where is our money going? I want it to go to building democracy in Israel, democratic values, liberal values in Israel, and not just carte blanche to a government that is acting in this way. And what is the website where people can... uh, So we uh, have a Facebook page, and it's Miklat Israel, or in Hebrew, Miklat Israel, and it is both in Hebrew and in English. And if you are in Israel, if you have, maybe you own property in Israel and you want to make that available for people to stay in, uh, if, God forbid, push comes to shove in this, please sign up by by emailing miklatisrael at gmail.com, M-I-K-L-A-T-I-S-R-A-E-L at gmail.com. And we will get back to you with a form that you can fill out. Also, if you have any skills that you think are helpful in as people like move, make a movement move forward, right? Tell us that in that email. Great. That's very helpful. Well, I want to thank you so much, Susan, for um, taking part in this. This is a very difficult issue, um, obviously, and, and you're really taking a very bold and, and inspirational stand and one that I think our, our listeners will, will be eager to hear about and find out how they can help out. Um, so definitely keep us posted how things are going and, um, and we'll be watching the news closely in the next couple of weeks to see how all this plays out. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you so much, Dan and Miriam. Thank you. 